Welcome to Red Leg Nation Radio, your home for discussion and analysis of Cincinnati Reds baseball all year long. Now here's your host, Chad Dotson. Hello everyone, welcome back to Red Leg Nation Radio. This is episode number 346 of the world's most dangerous podcast. I'm your host, Chad Dotson, with me again this week to celebrate the 2020 Cincinnati Reds, Jason Linden. How are you, Jason? You know, I'm here. <laughs> you showed up? I showed up. Oh, wow. There's a baseball team that showed up for the playoffs. Well, or did they? Uh, you know, it's so funny. Uh, last week, really upbeat podcast here. And, uh, you know, uh, it's kind of exciting. A couple of weeks for the Reds. And so we come into this. The uh, uh, last podcast was what we're happy. Then Saturday, I did just a little short one the night after the Reds actually clinched the playoffs. Just, to, just by myself, 20 minutes, just saying, hey, let's be excited about this. Let's be happy about this. This is fun. Baseball's supposed to be fun. And you and I have talked about that more than anyone. Baseball's supposed to be fun. And and then uh, did another podcast, a a preview of the series. And here we are, uh, you know, one week later. And it's over. Jason, what happened? I don't even know. That was the strangest two games of playoff baseball I've ever seen. It was. But wasn't it on brand for this team? It I'm just saying good pitching, no hitting. And it was kind of the extreme on both, yeah. but it really it really was. And you know, God, we can take a moment just to celebrate the best of that. Like if we leave out the ninth inning today, the Reds held one of the very best offensive teams in baseball to two runs over the span of twenty two innings. Twenty twenty one innings. And that's, that's, that's not over. That's not overstating it. They really were legitimately one of the best offenses in baseball, maybe the best. Yes, they were. That's not. Yeah. I mean, what? What? I mean, incredible pitching performances from essentially the entire staff. Yeah, going into the ninth inning of Game Two, it really looked like the Reds were going to lose these two games, one to nothing. They were going to lose the series. They give up two runs total and lose the, yeah. the series. Get swept. <laughs> oh, let's just quickly break down what happened uh, for those of you that are under a rock game one we were all so excited and trevor bauer came out and was just as good as he's been all year the first i think pitcher in postseason history to uh, start a game and uh, 12 strikeouts no walks and two or fewer hits first pitcher in postseason history and of course the reds can't score but neither can the braves the reds bullpen comes in shuts them down as well zero to zero till we get to the 13th inning and the Reds had opportunity after opportunity after opportunity and could not scratch a run across. And just, it was kind of inevitable because they missed so many opportunities that the Braves would push one across. And they didn't. They won one nothing in 13. And they had the opportunities on uh, on Wednesday, didn't they, that game one? They really did. I mean, they, they really, really did. That felt like a game, <clears throat> to me watching it, I, I kind of felt like the Reds were going to win until they did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, was, I just kept waiting for somebody to run into one and hit a home run like we've seen all season. Yeah, and we get that run. You know, the first inning, the Reds had a couple on, and and, and Votto not a not a good at bat in the first inning, and Mustakas not a good at bat, and they really failed to get Senzel let off with with a single, and then they got uh, I think it's Castellanos got on as well, yeah. and uh, they couldn't bring him in, and I thought, oh man, that's a that's an opportunity against a pretty good pitcher because Max Fried, the, the starter for the Braves, pretty good, not as good as the Reds made him look maybe, but or maybe he is, he's pretty good, but. Uh, as it turned out, it was just there were four or five other moments like that where the Reds just couldn't couldn't get it done. Yeah, and you know it was funny because <clears throat> I was looking at the box score after that game, and I think with the exception of Mustakis, like you can't really complain because all of the top like six or so hitters in the lineup had a couple of hits. You know, like if 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 I told you before the game, I'd tell you anything else that you'd get you know, 11 hits from, from the top five spots in your lineup, you take that. Yeah, and absolutely. Think, okay, so that's what, you know, three runs, four runs right there. And it just, I mean, they just didn't get bunched together like they needed to get bunched together, and it was awful. Yeah, they uh, left 13 runners on base, and just time and time again, runners in scoring position with less than uh, two outs. Yeah. And could not could not get them home. I just... Uh, I mean, if they could have just gotten a ball into the outfield. Yeah, literally, they're like three times. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, I specifically tweeted at one point, okay, just hit a fly ball deep enough. 
Right, right. Oh, gosh. And then I think, you know, in the, uh, I think it was the seventh inning. Oh, my goodness. Mustakas grounded out to lead off the inning. Aquino gets a single, and Jesse Winker's hit by a pitch. And so you got runners on uh, first and second. Kyle Farmer grounds into a force out. And we're going to talk about Kyle Farmer in a moment. Um, so he's at first, and Aquino's at third with two outs now. First and third, two outs. And David Bell brings in Matt Davidson to pinch hit. First pinch hitter off the bench for the Reds in the playoffs. Matt Davidson to replace Kirk Casale. And then decides to call for a delayed slash double steal with uh, Freeman initially getting a rundown and then uh, Aquino getting tagged out in another rundown. Yeah. Ends the inning. And after the game, David Bell, and listen, we're not going to have an anti-David Bell podcast here, uh, but uh, every move David Bell made on uh, Wednesday backfired. Everything he did was he screwed up. Except for the pitching decisions, I guess, because the pitchers did well, so let's give him credit for that, I suppose. But everything else he did went wrong. And he said after the game, that was my fault. Probably being too aggressive there, but I called for that. How do you pinch hit for somebody who doesn't get the bat off his shoulder because you immediately try to execute a double steal with Kyle Farmer and Aristides Aquino? I mean, what is that all about? Just get, Was he getting was he uh, getting frantic? Was he Because the Reds hadn't been able to score, he was just trying to make something happen? I don't know. I mean, maybe he had a sense that he, you know, he's thinking, well, you know how good the Braves bullpen is. I don't understand the pinch hitting if you're going to try a double steal. I don't understand that at all. But maybe you're thinking, well, the Braves bullpen is fantastic, which it was. Right. And But our bullpen also is good. And here's a chance to score one run. And one run is going to win it today, which it did. You know, I mean, I'm just trying. I don't think that that makes it the right decision. It was a bad decision, but... But just trying to get into his head and figure out what he could have been thinking. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I think that's probably where he was going, and um, and it wasn't a good decision. He he said himself it wasn't a good decision, but just a just a stretch in a one nothing game is going to be like that. You had the play where Castellanos gets thrown out going first to third for the second out of the inning. And you know that's a thing people got worked up about that I didn't have any problem. with. I didn't either. Unless that unless that if that throw was anywhere else than exactly where it was, he's safe. Well, first of all, it's in front of him, so he sees it. And it seems to me, in a game like this, that's a reasonable chance to take. He's, you know, he's not the, the speed demon, but he's uh, athletic. And yeah, I didn't have a problem with that. Make make him make a play. Yeah, I would have been the same way with the one with the Joey Votto, where he uh, single to left, and he he was on second. He didn't score. I probably even with Votto, try to push it there and score just because we needed to do something. So maybe I'm, maybe I'm arguing against what I said earlier about the double steal. Well, the double steal with Aristides Aquino and Kyle Farmer is always stupid. Get out of here. Well, I mean, Aquino was fast. He doesn't get as much credit as he deserves. He's one of the fastest players on the team. He just doesn't look it because he's so tall and long, and he's got those big strides, but he's fast. Yeah, I'm, I'm not saying – I'm saying we don't – neither of those guys are Billy Hamilton or Nick Senzel. Aquino absolutely is a great athlete. Yeah. Um, and I Farmer's reason. Speed-wise, I think Aquino and Senzel are the same. Really? Yeah, yeah. Here, I mean, I'm, I'm, you can, I'm pretty sure you can look it up, and it's the case. Okay, they're real close. I remember being surprised at how close they were. Oh, you've never told me anything was correct on this podcast before, so I, I'm doubting it. But I had a I had a text conversation with somebody about uh, that play where Votto was on second, and didn't score, and to me, it looked like Votto did the right thing because. You're taught from a young age. This ball's a line drive. It bounced maybe right at the, right before it got to the third baseman or something. But it's it's a line drive for a moment, and you're taught as a as a hitter to kind of lean back towards the base in case that ball's caught. See it through to the outfield is what they say. See it yeah. see it hit grass before you go. So he kind of had to hold up just a little bit. If he'd been going on the on the swing, yeah, he scores easy. So I understand why they why they held him up or why he held up. I don't. Uh, I don't remember seeing the uh, third base coach sending him around, but um, I wish they'd have taken a chance there because, again, you got to make the other team make a play. Those are different than a double steal to me. But uh, but it is what it is. There, we could list a hundred different things. You know, Tucker Barnhart in both games keeps gra- grounding out softly on uh, plays with runner in scoring position. I mean, it's just they just didn't get it done. That's that's all there is to it. They They did not get it done. 
You're correct. They just didn't. <laughs> it's a good, good analysis, huh? Yeah. Fine, fine analysis, Chad. <laughs> so game two, the Reds come in, and what happens again? Luis Castillo. Oh, first, let's go back. Let me let me read uh, Trevor Bauer's line before we talk about Castillo. Trevor Bauer, seven and two-thirds, two, two uh, hits, no runs, no walks, 12 strikeouts, seven and two-thirds. So uh, great start. And then, of course, un- unbelievable work by Rosella Iglesias, Lucas Sims, Michael Lorenzen. Um, superb work. Now, game two on Thursday, Castillo goes five and a third, gives up six hits, one run, struck out seven, and walked one. So, I mean, that's that's kind of Castillo, right? We got yeah. we got we got what we wanted out of the pitchers. Yeah. And the Reds literally couldn't couldn't score. Got the one run off of uh, Castillo, the double from Acuna, and that was it until the, bo- the bottom of the eighth. But. Um, <sighs> What's the explanation for this uh, offense? You got any answers for me, Jason? I don't. I don't have answers for you. And the <laughs> kinds of answers I have are the kind of medium takes that everybody always gets mad at me about. <laughs> well, I'm going to give you some opportunity for playing those like, takes. Yeah. Well, it's just like. Well, I mean, that stinks. But also, I mean, yesterday especially, mostly it was probably just bad luck. <sighs> Yeah, which I know nobody wants to hear, but there it is. You're right. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear Babbitt all off season, not one Listen, time. A two out of three. I mean, a two out of three playoff series. Anything can happen in two games, and I think we all know that. Why does anything always happen to the Reds, though? That now that I don't know. I mean, that it was brutal. It was very brutal. Um, and this team just seems so snake bit in the playoffs. But also, you know, it's one of those things, and I think it's important for people to be aware of it. None of these Reds, except for Joey Votto, were on those teams. So they're not like, oh, I hope this isn't like last time. You know, they're not coming into it like that. Um, so all of the things were, where we are all kind of, as fans of the team, traumatized by these, these past playoff experiences... I, I, I would never agree with somebody being like, oh, those players, you know, they were just, they felt the pressure because they didn't want it to be like last time. Man, last, that was, that was a million years ago in, in baseball player years. Baseball fan years, Reds fan years too. Well, but, that too. Yeah. No, that's a good point, Jason. You know, uh, those guys aren't thinking, oh my gosh, Reggie Sanders, you know, and that great yeah. team in 95, you know, and we got to avenge that. Uh, but, uh, on the other hand, as fans, we do feel that, and we have to think about it. Our buddy Woo the Reds uh, posted this on Twitter. It has been 2,916 days since the Reds last won a postseason game. It has been 9,127 days since the Reds last advanced in the postseason. Are we cursed? I don't like those numbers. Those are too big. I would like them to be smaller. <laughs> yes, much smaller, like zero. Yes. Um, think about the last few times the Reds have been in the playoffs, and this will cover the playoffs for a lot of the people that are listening to this, the only playoffs they've ever experienced for the Reds. This year, this just historic disaster. The Reds are the first team to go scoreless in their first 22 innings in the playoffs since I think the 1912 Giants, I believe I saw, the New York Giants. Uh, it's just so historic. I thought they passed that team. I thought they broke the record. Oh, maybe with that last inning, they might have broken it. So it's, yeah. the, so it's the all-time record for futility to get a playoff and end a playoff, as it turned out. So we have that this year, which is just it's ridiculous. 2013, we have uh, a team that you know, was tied for with five games to go in the season. They're tied for second and um, end up losing their last five games. But make it to the wild card game, and then we have that Johnny Cueto drop the ball wild card game. The Reds really will never end. Just a kind of a disaster. That's a that, that's a on the scale of Reds disasters. That's pretty low, but still, it's something you know that we remember dropping that ball and ugh, one of the greatest pitchers in Reds history. But but then 2012. Uh, do you? I don't remember what happened in 2012, Jason. I I think I blocked it out, but maybe you I remember. I don't have any memory of that whatsoever. Well, something happened in 2012. Um, and the Reds just absolutely vomited all over themselves on the field. That's all I can remember. Um, before that, 2010, 
And uh, that's, you know, <laughs> at the time we were all like, oh, what's a big deal? They'll make the playoffs plenty. Uh, but they get no hit in their first game in the playoffs, finally. The first time after 15 years being in the play playoffs, they get there and they get no hit in game one. So, you know, for a, a lot of Reds fans, this is what they've experienced. Either horrible baseball, where the Reds aren't even close, in the years when they are close and they actually get across the finish line, something crazy happens every time. We are cursed, aren't we? Well, can I give at least a little bit of salve to that? Sure, please. At least we're not the Twins. Oh, man, that's hard, isn't it? What's 18 straight? 18 straight playoff losses. Oh, no, that hurts. That, I mean. <sighs> On the other hand, how many playoff games have the Reds had during the, in the, during the time they lost those 18 playoff games? That probably goes back a while. When's that go back to? That didn't go back to. Uh, I don't know when that goes. It goes, back. yeah. I don't either. Um, sure yeah. It goes back to before the Reds' last playoff run, I'm sure. Yeah, the Reds are only on what uh, four straight? Yeah. No, no, three, four, five, six straight. No. Oh yeah, that wild card game. Okay. Yeah. Right. Six straight losses, so we're a third of the way there. Chad, I know. I'm sorry. Do we? <laughs> Let's answer some viewer mail because that's going to get us to where we need to go. Out there All right. Some of these questions. Take, take me where we need to go, Chad. Take me there. Oh my goodness! First of all, the first question comes from uh, uh, Bill Lack, who uh, sent this, and I, and I don't know that we need to answer all this right now, but this is a good way to uh, kind of frame what we're going to be talking about today and for the rest of the off season. In retrospect, did this team overproduce for those couple of weeks when they made their late season run, and uh, and how disappointing was their performance all season, and where does this team go moving forward? I think those are two pretty good questions. Um, did, did, and we talked at one point, maybe you and I talked about, did we just overrate this team coming in? Um, and I do want to talk later about how what we move going forward. But what do you think? Did we just did we overrate them? Are they did they just overperform those two weeks? Are, are they that team? Are they the team we saw the I mean, rest of the year? Who are they? Any team that finishes like eleven and three or whatever is overperforming. That's no no baseball team is that good. So yes, they overperformed. Um, but it's also, I mean, they also underperformed, right? Like leading up until then, you know, the, 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 all of the fancy projection systems thought the Reds would finish the season 31 and 29 and they finished the season 31 and 29. Well, how come so, David, every David Bell team has, uh, underperformed? Who says they underperformed? I say they underperformed. I don't know. Did they? I don't think they really did. They only made the playoffs because a couple of hours before the season started, uh, they decided to let everybody in the playoffs, and they barely did that. They certainly it's underperformed last year. And I mean, you know, what did we think this? You know, back back in 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 the the pre-COVID halcyon days of February and March, you and I were talking about this, and what we had them what like an 84, 85 win team, right? I, I need we need to go back and see. I think we had, we had a mid eighties, I think, probably, um, and most people did, and they played like a mid eighty team. I mean, that's what thirty nine, thirty one, and twenty nine projects out to. I, I don't think you can reasonably call this an underperformance. I think it's, I mean, the playoffs is devastating and horrible, and I would like to forget those two games, please. But also, like in terms of how the regular season shook out. I mean, they. I think they did what they were, what everybody thought they would do. Now, it would have been a lot less stressful for us if we could have, like, you know, jingle jangled some of that around a little bit and and just had kind of a nice, easy, hanging around five hundred all year season instead of having to to come come back like they did. But I, I don't think I don't think they underperformed this year. I think the offense underperformed. I think the pitching overperformed. I think it was a weird year, also. And I don't, you know, this is one of those things where everything about this season was so strange. And, you know, in terms of figuring out what's going to happen next year, I'm kind of ready to throw this season for the most part out the window. Because I, I will never believe that you can really tell anything that you want to make long-term decisions about from 60 games. Well, we're going to have that question, no doubt about it. I, I, I disagree with uh, with your assessment on uh, – 
whether they underperformed. I mean, I think they had two weeks where they looked good, and they were they were trash the rest of the year. Trash. They had good pitching that kind of dragged them, you know, to, to be able to stay in the race. So, well, let's be clear then. So, what you're saying is that the the offense was trash. Yeah, because you can't say that the pitching staff was trash. The pitching staff was so that kept them around. Well, the pitching staff was excellent the whole year, right? I mean, so really, what you're talking about is that the offense had forty bad games, which is an underperformance by the offense. But you didn't ask if the offense underperformed; you asked if the team underperformed, and I don't think they did because I don't think anybody expected the pitching. Well, we expected it to be good. I don't think we expected it to be this good. I sure, I certainly didn't. The offense not part of the team? It is. But what I'm saying is that when you balance the overperforming of the pitching with the underperforming of the offense, you have the team that performed more or less where your expectations were in the first place. Uh, okay. Listen, everything you're saying is reasonable. And I'm trying to play devil's advocate a little bit with you here um, because that's, uh, you know, that's what we do in law school. Um, I know. I know. I know all you. You know how many friends I have who are lawyers, Chad. <laughs> you get it. You, you understand. But to me, everything you're saying, listen, completely reasonable and great arguments. But I watched a team for, I'd say, 45 games that was really difficult to watch. The defense was awful. The base running, they were the third worst base running team in the league. The, uh, the offense was just uniformly horrible. And yes, the pitching overperformed, which is why I'm not so optimistic about next year. A little preview of what I'm going to say later. I can I don't expect the pitching can uh, duplicate this, and we just wasted it this year. But I, I just I just know that I suffered through watching a team that was really really bad to, or hard to watch. And maybe some of that's because of uh, you know the the way the offense was, and they were overly relying on the on the home run ball, and that's not as much fun to watch anyway. But I just. I think you can argue either way, and I, I don't think that you're wrong, but I just think that we watched a team that was really difficult to watch for a long time, and then they finished the season, and anything you're right can happen in a three-game series, but this team was impossible to watch these last two days. It was embarrassing. So, anyway, you want to tell me why I'm wrong, or you want to move on to some questions? Let's move on to some questions. <laughs> I'll, I'll try to sneak in while you're wrong. Okay. Least. Yeah, just, just uh, you know, sprinkle it in as we go. Before we do that, I got we have to give a thank you to our newest uh, patron at patreon.com slash redlegradio. And I don't know where we're going to go on this one. You know, we always give him a, a position on our uh, on our beer league softball team. But this guy's name is John Majeski. I presume that's how you pronounce it because it's spelled exactly the same way as our old friend Gary Majeski. Well, somebody's got to be a relief pitcher then, huh? Yeah, but let's make him a left-handed relief pitcher to distinguish him from Gary. Okay. And let's make, make sure he has a uh, healthy arm. Unlike Gary. Yes, let's. Let's please do that. Gary, thank you very much for joining us. Really appreciate it. And uh, enjoyed getting to meet you at our Slack channel as well. All right, first question comes from Charlie Zollers. Charles asks, at least we get to watch Tottenham interrupted right now. Or interrupted now, right? Charles, he's coming after my own. You know, Tottenham today, I just got to tell you... um, they won seven to two to qualify for the group stages of the, of the UEFA Europa League. I'm, I'm sure you knew that, Jason, but I'm just telling our viewers. I don't know soccer. Tottenham Hotspur. All right. Uh, his <laughs> the second second part of question is, but seriously, where does this rank amongst Reds' disappointments for you guys? It's a good question. Where does this rank among, amongst Reds' disappointments for us? It's not close to 2012, right? No, I mean, this was a solid team that snuck into the playoffs in the craziest can be year and lost, I mean, embarrassing in embarrassing fashion, but lost two out of three. Like, I don't know. It sucks, but I'm, I'm going to give me a couple months and I'll be ready to have my heart broken again. Yeah, I don't know that this ranks that highly, honestly, because in the back of my mind, I, I mean, I knew this team had it in them to do it and it was fun to watch them for a couple of weeks. But in the back of my mind, I never really felt like this team is capable of big... I thought they were capable. I take that back. I did think they were capable of big things. And, you know, let, let's be honest about something here, too. That The context matters a lot. Like, though it would have hurt, if they had lost these games, say, 3-2 to two and 4-3, to three, that would have hurt. 
but it wouldn't have felt quite as apocalyptic as what just happened, which what just happened was a couple outs away from being one, nothing, one, nothing. That's an excellent point. And that, you know, so, so the context hurts. And that's again, why I'm like, let's not forget about the pitching that just happened because that was some pitching. You hold the Braves to two runs for that many innings. That's impressive. Yeah. And as with everything else, this whole season, we can't really focus on that because the offense is so bad. Uh, you know, I think, I think Jason, you're right. I mean, it's, it doesn't really rate up there. It's a disappointment. This team had the ability, I think, to go far. I, re- I will still always believe that because of what we actually saw, the pitchers. We just needed, you know, not even average hitting, just acceptable hitting, you know. Um, but I didn't – they hadn't given me much reason to believe they were actually going to to do anything. So, you know, you, gotta, you have some expectations to be disappointed. What I will say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna poke to my, poke my head in here, is that – what I think was really exposed the last couple of days in a way that the Reds had mostly had been able to cover it up until now was how weak the bottom third of the lineup was. Yeah. I mean, if you think about, because when we're talking about the hitting again, yesterday, Votto had a couple of hits, Senzel had, I think, three hits, Cassiano's had a couple of hits, Gino had a hit. Like, the top of the lineup did their job yesterday. There weren't extra base hits, but, you know, those kind of happen when they happen. But the top of the lineup did its job yesterday. The problem was that for far too long, the Reds have been relying on Freddie Galvis, Kyle Farmer, uh, Tucker Barnhart, etc., which are guys who I'm sure they're fine human beings, but they're not hitters. Yeah. We, we, listen, we'll go back into our archives and find you and I talking in the offseason. Uh, the Reds need to go out and get... A shortstop, a catcher, you were outfield. We also said, but you know these are the areas they have to address, and they didn't address either of them, either of those two. Tucker is a friend of the podcast, and he really is a great guy. But man, I was today when any time he was coming up in crucial at bats, I was wishing that Stevenson was on the roster. Yeah, he's a backup catcher. I mean, there's no shame in, in saying that. He, he's he's not a good hitter. He's just not. Uh, we yeah. can pretend that Casali is. Because he had 72 good at-bats or whatever, uh, or decent at-bats. But those guys are not they – they didn't get the job done when we needed it. And shortstop, let me tell you, there's, I love the way that – again, I won't quote our buddy Wu, uh, who I can't get to drop the veil of anonymity, but uh, he said it's a complete failure. There's, there's no more evidence of the failure of this front office than the fact that in the first playoff game in seven years – the Cincinnati Reds' starting shortstop was Kyle Farmer. I mean, Kyle Farmer can say he started a playoff game at shortstop. I mean, how's that a thing? Yeah, I mean, I don't know, man. You know, Todd Benzinger started a playoff game, too. I mean, crazy things happen. Um, I guess. You know, I mean, I think I think most teams have... A guy like that. Even playoff teams often have a guy where you're like, wow, that's the weak link on the team, huh? The problem really, though, again, was the, the bottom third of the lineup amounted to, uh, typically amounted to being a weak link. Yeah, the, the, the black holes, multiple black holes combined with some of your regular players you expect to contribute. Yeah, uh, I mean, for the whole season, were awful. The Reds, got, the Reds got essentially no offense from their shortstops this entire year. Yeah. Well, should have kept Jose Iglesias. Uh, in terms of where it ranks among red disappointments, it's not. It's not up there with 2012. It's not up there with 1999 to me. So you know, I don't. It's just a. It's a garden variety red disappointment. I'm used to red disappointments at this point. So Nathan Connor. The Reds hitters looked so look so far away from being a real playoff team. They didn't belong out there. If there's a case to be made against expanding the playoffs, these two games are Exhibit A and B. Perhaps COVID-19 spared Reds fans from having to watch this lineup for 100 more games than was originally scheduled. Clearly, changes are needed. We've got all winter to discuss that, but for now, I just want to say how unfulfilling that was, but at least we can commiserate with with one another. That's why we're here, Nathan. Appreciate the, uh, no, not a question, but the comment. Kyle Kapler, do the Reds realize they can score a run, not from a home run? I'm not convinced that they realize that. You think they realize that, Jason? <laughs> I, I, think, I think they realize it. 
just don't, don't know how. That goes back to it. Maybe you can comment on this quickly. That goes back to something that I've heard some people say, and I think there's some, some validity to it. This offense was very poorly constructed. I mean, they don't have guys that get on base enough and to, to set the table. And then, of course, you know, at least two black, serious, serious black holes in the lineup. So that, that you know, the, the guys think about the guys they went out to get this offseason. You know, they went out and got uh, Mike Moustakas, who I like, but, you know, career on base of uh, 310. Then went out and got Nick Castellanos, who I like, career on base, 324, um, better. But again, these are not high on base guys. They're guys that are going to sit around and, you know, Moose is who he is. He's going to look for a home run. Um, you know, I'm, I, I think I'm going to disagree with you a little bit there mm-hmm. because really, and I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to try not, not too hard to go. To go, to go on the bat at Monster. And I'll tell you, I'm sure there will be some good analysis done. And I'm really interested to see if people dig in the numbers and find, like, was this really fluky? Because very few of the Reds players were consistent, from even from past seasons. Actually, Moose's BAPIP was kind of in line with his career. It ended up he's been a poor, poor BAPIP guy historically. But Castellanos was way down. Suarez was way down. Votto was way down. Like, and, you know, Castellanos, or not Castellanos, sorry, Suarez and Votto and Winker, and Winker ended up having a pretty good season, though he slumped badly in the second half. His numbers overall were pretty good. Um, But those three together are typically very good on base guys. Like, they get on base. Um, And... You know, even Joey and, and, and Jesse managed to still have good on-base percentages this year. Um, and, you know, but Gino really didn't. His, his on-base percentage was way down, but that really looks like a BAPIP artifact. So I don't, I don't know. Like, again, I think the way in which this team was poorly constructed was that they didn't have top, a top-caliber shortstop or a catcher. I think, that the, I think the weaknesses that they tried and failed to fill last off season are ultimately what kind of caught up to them this off, this season. Cause there was no margin for error really in a 60 game season with, you know, a couple of positions that you just couldn't count on for any offensive contribution. Yeah. I'm frustrated, Jason. It's frustrating. Next two questions. I'm going to take them together because they are, uh, we get to a similar point there. Matt LaCron asks, what will it take to keep Trevor Bauer if it's even possible? And what's the missing piece to this team? We thought it was someone like Castellano slash Moose last year. Chuck Nichols asks, some positives to take away from this season if the Reds pitching is championship caliber. The Reds offense, on the other hand, still needs work. Who do you think the Reds should sign to improve their offense next year? Now, we've kind of been dancing around that a little bit, but let me, uh, See if I can briefly give you my thoughts on the off season, and I'm going to need to think about this more to flesh it out um, in more detail. But I think that if you, what do I always say here? Hope is not a strategy, and we can hope as fans, but the, but the front office cannot. If the Reds go into this off season thinking that the pitching is going to be just as good next year, they're out of their mind. Maybe it will be. It's highly unlikely, in my opinion. I would. Uh, Okay, uh, Tr- Trevor Bauer. What will it take to keep Trevor Bauer? I don't know. They have to. Go, they have to try. Um, I don't know how much teams are going to be willing to spend. Uh, I just don't know. Uh, so I hope they. I hope they can keep him based in on how he performed this year. I'd like to have that again. But look at his track record. You know, he's he's not going to be this good again. Is this a you know a two month fluke? I don't know. Not a fluke because he's pitched really well before. But he's got a great chance of winning the Cy Young Award. Yeah, but, but say they can't keep him, the pitching's going to be worse anyway, and they lose him. It's definitely going to be worse. And with this offense, I don't. Here's what I fear: I fear that the Reds are going to just say Jose Garcia is our shortstop, and Tyler Stevenson's our catcher, and I'm okay with those two things by themselves, you know, in a vacuum. But then they're going to say, and we think everybody else is going to be better than they were. We hope they're going to be better the offense, these players because they they've been better at times in the past. That's what I fear. That Castellini's gonna pull the purse strings tight and that they're just gonna say, well, we we were we were unlucky. 
And look, we got these two shiny new prospects to put out there for you. And so, uh, again, and they're going to hope that they get better. Now, tell me that that's not going to happen or whatever you want to say, Jason. Criticize me. All right. I think I think Stevenson is the starting catcher next season is a lock. I do, too. I think that is an absolute lock. And frankly, I don't know that they could get anybody you'd rather have. I, I think that's probably true. Um, I think I'll come back to shortstop in a second. I'm, I'm going to real quick say a few things about, like, we think everybody's going to be better. Do I think Moustakis is going to be a better? No. He was more or less in line with his career numbers this year. I think he'll be who he was. He's a little better than his career numbers this year, if you can believe it. Yeah. Do I think that – which it's important to remember, he's a second baseman, right? Second baseman don't hit like first baseman. A 32-year-old um, second baseman as well next year, if we're talking right. about him improving. Yeah. Um, you know, I think Akiyama probably will be a little bit better overall. I think he needed an adjustment, right? I but, mean, but, we, but we don't know that. We don't, but I think he will. He seemed to come around real well the second half. I think at this point, I hate to say it, but I think we're entering the time when Senzel has to be a question mark. Um, I think Winker pretty much is who he is. I'm 100% certain, barring injury, a Eugenio Suarez will be better next year. I, there's no doubt in my mind whatsoever. Hmm. Um, I think Castellanos will probably be better, and I think Votto will probably and arrive at approximately the same level of value that he had this year, but he'll probably do it in a different way. Um, so I think that, and I could see a case for Votto being a little bit better because he did make adjustments and he was unlucky, but I think 15 to 20% above average as a hitter is, is kind of all you're asking for from Joey Votto at this point. Um, so I think if I'm concerned at this point, I'm, I'm concerned up the middle. I'm concerned at center field. I'm concerned at shortstop, and I'm concerned at catcher. And for a shortstop, um, I would ask Cleveland what it takes for Francisco Lindor. And then, unless I think Jose Garcia is magically morphing into a superstar at AAA, uh, along about the middle of the season, I hand Francisco Lindor a check, and I tell him to put in whatever number he wants. We've been saying that for a while, and I still think it's a great idea. <laughs> You know, it's got to be, they got to get somebody. They've got to get a real player in this lineup somewhere. Uh, I would quibble a little bit, not not a lot, but a little bit with your analysis. Uh, I think that Moustakas is not going to be better. He might I be. be better. I said I thought he'd be the same. Yeah, right. That's what I'm saying. I mean, he's, uh, no, I wasn't, I wasn't arguing with you on that one. Oh, I'm you're I, going through. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm just going through and looking at some of these players. Um, I think that we got what we can expect out of him. Um Suarez is, I'll say this, Suarez is the only one that I'm confident will be better. The only one that I'm confident will be perform better than he did this year. And remember, this is a historically bad offense for the Reds. There's one player in the lineup that I am confident. The rest of them are kind of hope. Like Shogo, oh. Shogo, I, I feel like he will be better. But I mean, the guy oh, had a 357 oh, on base. You lapse into hyperbole for a second. This is not a historically bad offense. Worst batting, worst batting average ever. Huh? Worst batting average ever. Chad, 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 is it is it 1987, Chad? You tell me, because I oh. wish that we were within three years of the Reds winning a championship. Boy, next thing Chad's going to be back to talking to us about the importance of pitcher wins. <laughs> <laughs> I've been there. Come back to earth, my friend. Uh, historically bad in the playoffs and the worst batting average ever. So, not a good offense. There's no argument this was a good offense. There is not. You are correct. And so, uh, right, I, I did lapse into hyperbole. but And I look here and I see one player that I feel reasonably certain is going to improve. And that's Eugenio Suarez. Now, how much he'll improve over this year's numbers, you know, he was roughly at league average hitter even this year, the way he finished the season. So, but he'll be better. Um, Akiyama might, but the guy had a three fifty seven on base percentage this year, <laughs> you know, we may not be able to expect a whole lot more. I don't know. I feel like I think, probably based on the way he progressed. Second, I think Akiyama again might get there a little bit differently, but base hits matter, and I think he's likely to get a, a few more base hits than he got this year. Yeah, it's possible. Right. I'm not. I'm not saying that definitely not going to happen. What I'm saying with all these guys, except for Suarez, is if the Reds are hoping that that's what happens, they're being foolish. Uh, Castellanos, he may be better. But let's be honest, his numbers aren't that far off his career numbers. They were a little below. 
not that far off. Yeah, I mean, I think Castellanos will be better because he is one of those guys. His career batting average on balls in play is three twenty nine. This year it was two fifty seven. Um, elsewhere, he's pretty much in line with his career numbers. So sixty game sample that kind of looks like maybe there was some some bad luck. You know, if that if that's anywhere near his career levels, then I think we're very happy with the performance from this year. I'm not listening to the bad luck nonsense. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, maybe. Maybe and, and if if he if he did, doesn't opt out and I don't think he will after this season um, I think he's back uh, you know uh, he he's probably better and the Reds are going if he's if he's here he's gonna be playing worst defensive outfitter I've seen since uh, well no the worst ever I'm not gonna invoke the name of our beloved Saint Dunn um, Winker's good I got no problems with Winker um, I, I've hesitated on this one I, I made it last because uh, I. I think we've seen the high water mark of Joey Votto's career for the rest of his uh, career, his numbers this year. Um, I hope he's average over a full 162 game season. Uh, I'm just not I mean, convinced. He was above average this year, right? He was. Yeah, he was. Okay. He was. Thanks to a couple weeks, which, you know, those, those weeks count. But I didn't see a whole lot that gave me confidence that he's going to age particularly. Well, it's good. He's going to age gracefully, more gracefully than a lot of people do. Yeah. You know, he's delayed it pretty well to this point in a lot of ways. But so I, anyway, I'm, I'm just think the Reds have to have they've got to get at least one like big time impact bat in the lineup. And, and, and where, you know, center field, are you going to give up on Senzel? You know what? What year was Senzel was drafted in 16? Do, I mean, do you agree with me, though, that at this point, Senzel's got to be a little bit of a question mark? I hate to say it, because I still think he's got a boatload of talent. But I mean, he, can't, he has a hard time staying on the field, number one. At yeah. this point, we have to have to concede that. And yeah, that's what that's where I was going. He is a uh, he was the 2016 number two overall pick. Now, the Reds' first round pick in 15 was Tyler Stevenson, right? Yeah. When we get to 2021... You know, you would expect two first-round picks like that to be, you know, factors on your big league team by 2021. I mean, I know uh, Stevenson's a catcher, and he was uh, drafted out of high school. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I, I think that you do go with Sinzel. Um, I, cause I th- he's still got all that talent, but yeah. it's, at and some it, point, it's got to it's got to translate into performance on the field. It, you know. It is one of those things also, and it's worth noting that I, I need to look again, but last I recall, there is not much on the free agent market this year. Like, and, and especially not much in areas that would, would hit the Reds' needs, yeah. you know? Unless Mark- you wanted to do something like throw a bunch of money at, at Chris Bryant and see if he wants to play outfield. I like it. I like it. And then you put Shogo in center every day, I more or less assume. I guess. I don't know. I don't know. Can we move Sinzel back to shortstop? Go out and get you, an outfielder? You have, to the, you have to talk to the Reds about that, Chad. No, thanks. They're not returning my calls these days. All right, two more questions, and then let's get out of this one. Uh, Hooper Powell, our buddy, says, uh, let's not forget we had a winning season. That's true. It's true. Um, I think, and, and I think I, I meant to say something about Jason said what Jason said earlier, which is that if the Reds lose, you know, four to three and and, and five to four, some of these two games, we're probably like, oh, that disappointing. But oh well, you know. I think it's such a, the way they lost puts such. It reminds us of all the weaknesses they had throughout the season that we can't just can't forget them now. With with the optimism of the end of the season, uh, so anyway, uh, Hooper says I think a manager can only do so much. But I also feel that a team takes on the personality of its manager. Am I wrong? I don't know. Is he wrong? Uh, I, I, I don't know of any evidence that that feels like confirmation bias to me. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't. I don't know what the evidence is of that. And Hooper, we're happy to tell us at the at Slack exactly what you mean by that. But uh, it's an opportunity to talk about David Bell, which I don't think either of us want to do right now. I think we both agree that those that are calling for the firing of David Bell, uh, if I'm in charge, I'm not firing David Bell after this season. 
Yeah. Um, Listen, at this point, with the way modern baseball teams are run, I'm not firing David Bell because his players clearly like playing for him and clearly feel like they believe in him. And if that's the case, then as far as I'm concerned, the manager's doing his job. You make a couple of bonehead in-game decisions, yeah, but every manager does that from time to time. Well, my counter to that is I don't care how well they like playing for him if that doesn't manifest itself on the field. At some point, it's got to show up on the field if he's doing good at some part of his job, right? I firmly, I'll, I'll firmly contend that... It depends. I mean, by, by that stretch, uh, the much maligned Dusty Baker is one of the best managers we've ever had. I think that for in terms of regular season games... I mean, his teams yeah. always overperformed, right? They're always better than they're supposed to be. Well, that, that's, that's exactly what I'm saying. Um, uh, and we've, we've come to re- appreciate Dusty Baker, although we said it at the time, that you know his, his voodoo doesn't work in the, in the offseason or in the uh, postseason. But there's a reason why his teams are always in the mix, because he knows how to manage uh, players in the, in the dugout or in the clubhouse, and they generally like playing for him. And that's what I heard about David Bell. And you kind of alluded to that a moment ago, is that you know his players like playing for him, and the, you know the, the, they all like him. And I'm, it's, I'm thinking at some point, isn't that going to show up on the field? It did with Dusty, and I don't, I, mean, I don't have to see the evidence that it has with David Bell. Well, I mean, I think this is the first year he's had a team that you could remotely call competitive. So, you know, you give you give Dusty Baker what David Bell has had the last two years before this season, and I doubt you see much better results. Mm, I don't know, actually. Uh, I'm I'm not all in on David Bell. I'm not I'm not on the fire David Bell camp either. I think that's silly. I mean, I'm at not this point, all on David Bell either. I'm not ever all in on any manager. I think that the importance of managers is drastically overrated, and they're mostly puppets for upper management at this point who get scapegoated whenever they need a scapegoat. Well, we need a scapegoat because this team has flamed out once again. Because let's not forget, you know who's really responsible for this team, Chad? Tell me, Bob Castellini. Yep. And he's not getting fired. Nope. And, you know, is he going to fire anybody in the front office? No, they're all related to him or somebody he knows. Yeah. Well, David Bell is too. Well, there you go. Buddy Bell's son. Yeah, that's the, that's what I fear is that what we're going to get is we went out and spent a lot of money for nothing because we got nothing out of it. Um, and Bob Castellini's got to be hot right now about what, he, what value he got out of the $148 million he spent or whatever, which, you know, is a sl- slightly below average payroll. Um, but I think well, David Bell needs to be on the hot seat just because this team needs well, to show that somebody's going to be accountable for this mess. Well, hold on, he only really spent about fifty million. They didn't, you know, players didn't play two thirds of the season. Oh gosh, Jason, are you a lawyer? He didn't spend one hundred fifty million this year. Are you a lawyer? No, but I know plenty, as I said. <laughs> All right, last question comes from uh, from Wu. Trio of Woo the Reds mentions today. Joey Votto's played in 11 postseason games over 15 seasons. Mike Trout has played in three postseason games over 10 seasons. Neither has ever advanced in the postseason. Which is more depressing for the game of baseball? And does it speak to a problem with baseball? As arguably arguably the two best players over the previous decade are seen so little in the postseason. What do you think, Jason? Uh, I think Votto is more disappointing for Reds fans. Trout is more disappointing for baseball overall. Um, but baseball has always been that way. There have always been historically great players who never got rings. I mean, Ted Williams never got a ring and Banks never got a ring. It's easier for that to happen now because there are so many more teams, you know, back when there were 16 teams, great players often, you know, got into the, you know, made it once or twice and it was enough to get a ring. Now, I mean, you know, the, the 2012 Reds can, Flame out against a wild card team. Yeah. Well, the Reds were the number seven seed. They, you know, they're the one. Yeah. Or this, you know. It, well, let me. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. It's just right. Of, right. No, you're exactly, you're exactly right. I, I think that's part of the charm of baseball in some ways because every a player, one particular player is not going to impact the game enough to make enough of a difference. And that's why, you know, uh, I hear these arguments about, oh, Votto's never been on a winning team. It's his fault somehow, you know. Uh, baseball's not like that. So, but but the flip side of what he's, what Wu says here is, I would not be surprised if we start to see a real push that we will never again have playoffs, regular playoffs. The playoffs we have now will be the system going forward. That's my prediction. I I if the players' union is smart, that will not happen. <laughs> if the players' union is smart, I mean, I'm just saying, if the players' union is smart, if if half, more than half the teams make the playoffs every year. 
there is no motivation to try to win more than 85 games, and that kills player salaries. You absolutely uh, uh, got in ahead of, the, ahead of what I was getting ready to say there. What's Bob Castellini going to do if he only has to finish in eighth place? Is he going to go spend a ton of money? No. You, you will never see another great Reds team ever if it only takes 85 wins to get into the playoffs, at least not until Bob Castellini has passed the team on to somebody else. Yep. Oh, you know, uh, we, uh, I wrote an, uh, an article several years ago, a column at, at Cincinnati Magazine about the promises that this ownership group made. Uh, I tweeted that out again today, and I, I, not to get, pump up my uh, my own column, but go, go look at that. Look at those promises they made when they t- this ownership group took over in 2006. And they've completely failed. We're going on 15 years now. They have completely failed to deliver anything that they promised with one exception. So go look at that and see. And the one exception has nothing to do with baseball. It's the, you know, in, out in the community, what they're going to do in the community. And I think they've delivered on that. But um, that, that column is as true today as it was then. I, I'm sick of excuses. I'm sick of BABIP. I'm sick of uh, small market. I'm sick of freaking excuses. We waste so much time following this team. And either they're going to deliver... Or, I don't know, I'm going to keep talking about this team. I don't know what kind of a threat I'm trying to make. Jason, you got any final thoughts? Well, you know, everybody take a deep breath. In a couple of months, we'll chat. You know, you all know that in a couple of months, Chad's going to be like, you know, Jason, I think <laughs> this team this year, you know, TJ Antone, he really came on last year. <laughs> you act like you've spoken to me before in an off season. We've we've met. Jason, appreciate you joining us. Red Lake Nation Radio, whatever. Let's put this stupid season to bed. It was, except for two weeks, complete garbage from beginning to end. And I still kind of can't wait for opening day next year. For Jason Linden and Babip, this is Chad Dotson saying so long, everyone. Thanks for listening to Red Leg Nation Radio from RedLegNation.com. Subscribe to Red Leg Nation Radio on iTunes or through your favorite podcast app. And join us for discussion of all things Reds at RedLegNation.com. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week.